Hello, and welcome to another episode of Emma and Rebecca Talk IP. This is the podcast where we discuss topics catching our attention in the world of intellectual property and attempt to unravel what's really going on. My name is Rebecca Gay. And I'm Emma Isles. Today, we're going to revisit a topical issue that's due for a bit of an update. We spoke on the podcast last year about patenting for the clean energy transition. And since that time, there's been lots of commentary on the topic, including by us. In today's episode, we're going to pick up on some comments that we've been keeping an eye on that relate to the role that intellectual property has to play in a rapid and fair renewable energy transition. And we are very fortunate to be joined today by Andrew Wells, a partner in our London office. Earlier this year, Andrew was invited to discuss this exact topic with the UK Intellectual Property Office. He'll give us an insight into where policy in the UK might be moving in relation to this. Welcome back, Andrew. Episode two for you is a special guest on the podcast. Thanks, Emma and Rebecca. Um, Does that make me a regular? I think it probably does. Our regular UK correspondent. Now, we should start by setting the temperature of the episode and note that the climate that we're in. Okay, they were both really bad puns. I'll keep going. Uh, In a report released at the end of July, the International Energy Agency predicted that the world's consumption of coal will rise slightly in 2022 to 8 billion tonnes. And that's despite growing concern about climate change and support for environmental, social and governance or ESG considerations. That report notes that global coal demand is being propped up by rising natural gas prices, which have intensified gas to coal switching in a lot of countries, as well as economic growth in India. And that's against the background, of course, of the 2015 Paris Agreement that seeks to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius compared to pre-industrial levels. Attempts to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement are mixed, The Biden administration released a statement earlier this year saying the US is aiming to reach 100% carbon pollution-free electricity by 2035. The UK and Australia are also now committed to net zero emissions by 2050, and China's target is to reach net zero by 2060 and India by 2070. But something apparent from COP27 this year is while that there are calls for countries to come armed with stronger emission cuttings commitments, very few have in fact done so. And government's objectives aside, it seems that ultimately the responsibility for enacting the transition in practice is expected to fall largely on the private sector. That's exactly right, Rebecca. What we know is that there's a gap between these targets and the action being taken by governments to meet them. And it appears that much of the legwork in the green energy transition will be achieved by private R&D spend. And that's where the discussion about the role of IP rights comes in, especially patents. What's your thinking on that, Andrew? Uh, I agree, Emma. Uh, IP protection is intended to incentivise innovation. So it's something that needs to be taken into account when thinking about how the world is going to meet net zero targets. Um, As for whether intellectual property rights help or hinder innovation for the energy transition, it's been interesting to see statements coming out on both sides of the fence on that. Um, For example, the UN Secretary General recently commented at the launch of the State of the Global Climate 2021 report that removing obstacles to knowledge sharing and technological transfer, including intellectual property constraints, It's crucial for a rapid and fair renewable energy transition. 
and he called for renewable energy technologies such as battery storage to be treated as essential and freely available global public goods. These comments raise some interesting questions about what intellectual property rights achieve at a market and a society-wide level. I'm totally on board with the fact that we need a rapid and fair renewable energy transition to tackle climate change. But I also think there needs to be a careful and nuanced debate about how intellectual property contributes to that. And for example, it might mean examining the data to verify the assumption that intellectual property is always an obstacle to knowledge sharing and technological transfer. Consideration also needs to be given to the impact on innovation and how you go about financing the new technologies if intellectual property protection isn't available. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Andrew. There's a lot to unpack in all this. And the UN Secretary General's comments remind me of similar debates around access to medicines and particularly recent debates around the availability and affordability of COVID-19 therapies that we've discussed on this podcast before. There's been a lot of discussion about patent waivers and how they might help to ensure COVID vaccines and treatments were made available to developing countries. And it appears the UN Secretary General is suggesting a similar approach should be adopted for renewable technologies. Now, while the WTO did in fact adopt a partial patent waiver over COVID vaccines earlier this year, such a waiver still doesn't really guarantee the availability of the vaccines because someone has to have the capacity and technical know-how to actually make them. And that doesn't come from patents per se. And as far as I know, there is not yet an evidence base suggesting that intellectual property rights were in fact the barrier to dissemination of vaccines. So I'm not convinced that blanket patent waivers will be part of the solution to the climate crisis. I think it's right to be sceptical, Emma. I mean, if you take a step back and look at the purpose of patent protection, the central justification of the TRIPS agreement and the stronger patent protections that it introduced is to incentivise innovation, which benefits everyone. A patent rewards the patentee with protection from competition for a period, usually 20 years, and in return for the and that's in return for the very often quite significant investment in the R&D that you need to develop a new technology and get it to market. Um, of course, there are always various motivators that um, lead people to innovate. Uh, at the end of the day, for new technology to get to market, though, it, it requires a significant investment and a whole lot of risk. So if patent waivers erode the commercial reward that those investing and taking risk might achieve, I, I think that's cause for concern, unless, of course, you come up with a replacement for the patent system or some other system for motivating and rewarding innovation. I agree, and I think it's a mistake to assume that offering a monopoly through a patent necessarily limits access to that invention and licensing of patents used to produce COVID-19 vaccines is a perfect example of commercial practices that were effectively used to disseminate crucial technologies. And I predict that we will also see private licensing used to effectively and fairly disseminate new renewable energy technology too. And I think patent offices around the world seem to agree with, with that um, and, and, and say that the way forward is in fact to support patent protection for the energy transition. Actually, just in the last day or two, um, as part of COP27, the World Intellectual Property has launched its first ever green technology book, uh, which showcases 200 different climate change adaptation and mitigation technologies. 
Uh, and in launching that publication, WIPO has actually noted that the patent system generates an enormous amount of publicly available information about new technology, which can be licensed in countries where there are patents or used perfectly freely in countries where there are no patents filed for that particular piece of technology. And then in the US, the director of the Patent and Trademark Office, uh, Kathy Bedal, has also described the need for patent protection to help renewable energy inventions get from the idea through to development and then to commercialization. She said that patent rights allow innovators to access funding and bring their ideas to market. And to support that, the USPTO is piloting a fast track review program for up to a thousand patent applications that cover a product or a process that mitigates climate change by reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And that's a, a pilot program that's going to be um, in place through to uh, 5 June 2023. Now, Andrew, we know you've been chatting away with the UK Patent Office. Can you shed some light on what their thinking is around the role of patent tradition? protection in the transition to renewable energy? Of course. The, the UK IPO has noted that IP policy and its impact on driving innovation can contribute to ensuring the UK government's net zero by 2050 commitment and the top goals are met. The UK IPO actually introduced a green channel right back in 2009, which was allowed designed to allow accelerated processing of UK patent applications if the invention had an environmental benefit. Over 3,000 patents have been applied for under this channel since inception, and the number of applications has been increasing over time. And the IP office in the UK has now identified green technologies as one of its corporate priorities for 2022-23, and it's gathering information at the moment, which was the context in which I spoke to them, and it intends to put in place an action plan by March of 2023 to promote the development and adoption of green technologies within the UK's IP framework. The UK IPO, as I say, approached me and asked for my thoughts in connection with that, particularly around practical ways to incentivise green patents. I think there are various options you can envisage for this, such as making things cheaper, prosecuting them more quickly, similar to the things that's been raised by the US Patent Office. Uh, I think it's clear that given the IPO's renewed and prioritised focus on this area, we can expect to see some sort of overhaul of the existing green channel regime in the next couple of years. That's very interesting, Andrew. And, and it would make sense that accelerating and reducing the cost of patent filings would uh, also reduce barriers to obtaining IP rights and increase the rate that these technologies can then be commercialised at. We have a similar mechanism in Australia. Here, inventions can qualify for expedited examination if they fall into the category of green technology, and eligibility is also decided on a case-by-case -case basis. But do you think it's really the best way to incentivise innovation? There's certainly relatively simple things that the UK and other IP offices can use to incentivise innovation in this kind of green technology, but they're not the only ones. Another option might be to offer a reward of some sort, maybe a tax incentive um, to patentees who contribute patents relating to green technology to a patent pool that makes the technology available to license on standardised and probably quite open terms. So maybe a bit like open source software, but for green technology. That's a really interesting idea. You'd have to think that the creation of open patent pools would mean that any suggestion for waiver of patent rights would become unnecessary. 
it could also potentially make investment in uh, and the patenting of adaptive technologies that are less likely to be significant commercial money makers more attractive. It could enhance use of that sort of technology and increase the opportunity for license fees, but could also open up the possibility of combining those technologies and others within the pool for even greater benefits. And that's just one example of how owning IP gives owners flexibility in how they exercise their rights in relation um, to that technology, which is um, possibly becoming a theme of this podcast overall, Emma. Um, it, it just shows that there are a whole heap of creative approaches to IP ownership and how you use it. And in this space, that, that could be a really great way to um, facilitate the dissemination of renewable technologies. So that's something we will be keeping a very close watch on. Thanks so much for joining us, Andrew. Thanks to everyone listening and see you next time. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.